talking about, our theme is Reclaim. Um, it comes from the book of Ezra. And at a time when God wants to reclaim His nation and enable them to reclaim the promised land that He gave them. Now, look, we all know about the Exodus and how God brought the people out of Egyptian bondage back into the land. Everybody's seen, you know, the Ten Commandments. Even if you've never read the Bible, you've seen the Ten Commandments. You've seen Charlton Heston playing Moses. By the way, did you ever notice that in that movie, I don't understand this, nobody ages in the movie except Moses. And, and Moses, you know, goes from being this, this young man and becomes an old man. And what's with that? He's the only one that ages. Now, in my family, it's the other way around. I get old and Brenda stays forever young. Did you, have you, have you noticed that? We show wedding pictures and there's Brenda. You look at her now, she hadn't changed at all. That's, that's not fair. But, you know, okay, so we know about Exodus and that return to the land. But people who have not read the Bible probably do not know about the nation of Israel going into captivity in Babylonia and that there was a time that they would be brought out. There is that warning all the way back to Moses and the law and Deuteronomy that if you rebel against me, if you refuse to follow my commandments, I will scatter you, I will send you into exile. But if, there's also the promise, that if in that foreign land, if you will remember me, and if you will come back to me, then I will return you. I will reclaim you and take you back to the land. You know, that's the same offer that God makes for us today. See, He wanted to redeem their past. He wanted them to be able to, to put their past behind them he would forgive their sin, He would redeem their past, and He would reclaim them. He would redeem them, and He would restore them. You know, that's what we need even in our day. If, you know, if you've never been saved, you've never trusted Christ as Savior, you need to understand that your sin has separated you from God. But listen, Jesus Christ died for you so that he could redeem your past he could pay for your past and so that he could restore you to right relationship with him that's what today's message is all about being redeemed and being restored so that God can reclaim you you know but it's not just those who perhaps who've never been saved that I can talk to about that because, you know, all of us practice that old-fashioned Baptist theology. You know, there's a term that we use in Baptist churches. We believe in it. We practice it a lot. It's the word backslidden. Backslidden. What that means is, yes, I've trusted Christ, but the truth is, I'm not walking with Him right now. I'm not in fellowship with Him, and I'm not serving Him. I'm just sort of wandering. I'm, I'm in this never, never land. I've got a message for you today. 
God wants to redeem your past. And He wants to restore you to right fellowship with Him. One of the things Brenda and I, are, we're working with church planters today, and, and these days, we spend a lot of time with church planters. And I'm learning that a lot of times when they start a new congregation, they're starting churches, that the people they're running into is, is people who have been hurt in church. They've been burned. Maybe they were in a church and there was a, a church split or a disagreement or maybe they, were, they had their feelings hurt. Uh, maybe even the pastor insulted them or, or something and they've been hurt. Listen, if that's you, I'm glad you're here because you are welcome in this place. And God has met with you today, listen, because He wants to redeem all of that. He wants to redeem your past and restore you to fellowship with Him. Maybe you haven't just been burned in church, you've burned out in church. Listen, God can heal the hurt. He can redeem the hurt. And He can restore you to fellowship. See, God's purpose in eternity is redemption and restoration. And He can reclaim you. The book of Ezra is a very unusual book. It is about that reclamation, about returning the nation of Israel back to the promised land as God promised and as He prophesied. Um, the thing about Ezra, Ezra was a scribe who lived in Babylonia with all those captives, and he wrote the history of that return. He was not a part of the initial return. He went to the land later on. But Ezra was this, uh, he was a great priest. He was a scribe. Um, he was an expert in the law of God. And when you read, one of the things that I find frustrating about Ezra, I've read the Bible a few times, and every time I get uh, to reading what Ezra wrote, that guy loves to list names. Did you ever try to read those names out loud, by the way? Um, we're, we're probably going to read a few of those names in, in the passage this morning. But he wrote all those names down. You see, you know, when you... What book of the Bible is it that when you get there, there are more names than any other book in the Bible? Well, it's 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles. Guess who wrote 1 Chronicles? It was Ezra. Then you get to the book of Ezra and he does it again. The whole chapter 2 is a list of names. He loves to write... I've, I've decided that Ezra is obsessive-compulsive. What's your name? Let me write that down. Let me, let me put you on the... He loved lists. But Ezra had the opportunity of recording this great promise of God being fulfilled in returning the people to the land. Let's, let's look at Ezra chapter 1. And I'm going to read a long passage of Scripture. I should probably apologize, but I'm not going to because I love the reading aloud of Scripture in the house of God. That's just something special to me. In Ezra chapter 1, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, the, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
so that he might he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing thus says cyrus king of persia the lord the god of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house jerusalem which is in judah whoever among you of all his people may his god be with him and let him go up to jerusalem which is in judah and rebuild the house of the lord the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in the charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shesbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the number of them. See, I told you, he loves lists. 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and 1,000 other vessels. All the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400 all these did Shesbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. Now, there are a lot of details in that. And again, I don't know. Was he obsessive compulsive or was he an accountant? I don't know. But, but he loved the details and he gave us all of those details. But in reading all that, let us not miss what God wants us to hear today about the reclamation and the return, the redemption and restoration of uh, God's people. In fact, what I want to point out to you is three elements in God's process of redemption and restoration. All of those, I think, are in this passage. The first one of those is the Word of God. The Word of God. Listen. When God begins his process of redemption and restoration, he usually begins with the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. It says in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, notice this, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Now what that means is to me, there is an attention that's been going on to the word of God. Somebody has been teaching and somebody has been preaching so they know the, that what Jeremiah's been preaching. They know the Word of God. Uh, we're not told who that was, but I will be speaking tonight um, and I'd love to see your face at 5 p.m. I'm going to be preaching tonight uh, from a quote, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Now, Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Anybody recognize that movie quote? Wizard of Oz. I know. Uh, 
some of us grew up going to church on Sunday night and some of us didn't get to see the Wizard of Oz and some of you went to see the, you know, you watched the Wizard of Oz on Sunday night. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And I'm going to be preaching tonight about who I believe this was, the man behind the curtain, sort of out of sight in the time of Ezra. But the Word of God takes first place um, in this whole story and in God's process of redemption and restoration. In this, we see, in the Word of God, we see a fulfilled promise. You see, I, I mentioned earlier that in Deuteronomy, that God had, had said, if you obey me, I'll bless you, but if you turn away from me, I'll scatter you. And so, uh, I should probably be doing this myself, but thank you. But he also said, and when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Now that's a powerful promise. I won't destroy you, but I will put you in a place where you will be miserable so that you are drawn to remember the blessing and you are drawn to remember me. And when you do, I will restore you. I will redeem your past and I will restore you. God keeps His promises. It's amazing to me in reading all the way back in the law, it, you can't imagine the amount of time that we're talking about between Deuteronomy and the time of Ezra and yet God has predicted that this is going to happen, you will rebel and you will suffer the punishment. But he makes a promise. I will redeem you and I will restore you. And God keeps his promises. He has made such a promise to you, my friend, that if you forget him and you turn away from him, that he will draw you back to him. And he wants to redeem that sin. He wants to redeem your past and He wants to restore you to right fellowship. God keeps His promises. There's not only the promise kept, there is also in this passage fulfilled prophecy. It's also amazing that in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 1, Isaiah said, Thus says the Lord to His, to his anointed, to Cyrus, Cyrus? He named him. Now, no big deal, right? Except that this was 100 years, or, you know, we know it's at least 70 years. I would have to, I was too lazy to do it, I confess, to figure out, okay, what is the age, in what time did Isaiah write, and, and the time of Hezekiah the king, and the kings that followed, and all the way, you're talking a couple hundred years. And God wrote in his book, a couple of hundred years ahead of time 
the name of the king who would be the king at his choosing to bring the people back into the land. And God fulfilled that prophecy to the letter. Now listen, skeptics look at that and say, well, that's impossible. That can't possibly be true. Understand, they have no proof that it can't be true. They have no proof that it is not true. They just say it can't be true because that can't happen. Sure it can. He's God. He knows and He has a plan. And that fulfilled prophecy is one of the things that is an evidence to you that you ought to believe that you ought to believe the Word of God. You can believe the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And you can trust the Bible. How could that happen? How could Isaiah write that? Because the Bible is not just a miracle book. It's an inspired book. Notice again at chapter 1, verse 1 of Ezra, the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord, by the mouth, get that, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. How did that happen? What he's saying is, what Jeremiah wrote was not Jeremiah's words, it was God's words. That's, that's inspiration. Listen, the Bible is an inspired book and you can believe it. In fact, restoration, redemption and restoration usually takes place at the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. That's what John said. In John chapter 5, verse 24, uh, John said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him, that's the Father, who sent me, that's Jesus, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, has, but has passed from death unto life. That's what happens when you hear the Word of God and you believe it. And believing it, you believe the Father who authored it. You trust in Jesus and you are given the gift of eternal life. Your past is redeemed and you are restored to a right relationship with God. The problem is if you don't believe the Bible, if you reject the Bible as the Word of God and refuse to believe it, you need to understand you're rejecting the God of the Bible. Listen, the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God is the most important thing that happens in this place. This, you know, there is a danger. Yes, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and I read the news. But there is a real danger when, what, when we make our church and our Christianity about politics in which political party we support. There's a real danger when we make church about patriotism instead of about the Word of God. And it's dangerous when we make our church about personalities rather than the Word of God. Do you know, you can sum up the doctrinal statement of Baptist churches in one element. The Bible is our all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. For, I started to say a hundred years, for 
for over a thousand, almost two thousand years now. The, our watchword, our theme has been the Bible is sufficient for everything for us. Now, you, you need to be careful when you add anything else necessary for following God, serving God in church. The first element in God's process of redemption and restoration is the Word of God. The second element in that process is the movement of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, in chapter 1, verse 1, the, the Lord, or actually verse 2, the Lord stirred up Cyrus, king of Persia. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. That's a movement of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God moved upon the human spirit of Cyrus and stirred him up. Listen, we need a stirring of the Spirit of God. Our nation needs to be stirred up, not with politics and not with disagreement, not with hatred, not with racism, not with jealousy. Our nation needs to be stirred up by, the, by movement of the Spirit of God. That is a spirit of love, a spirit of peace and of forgiveness and of grace. And our nation needs a stirring of the Spirit of God. Our church and our churches need a stirring of the Spirit of God. Our homes need a stirring of the Holy Spirit of God. I tell you, we need to be very careful about limiting where God can work and who He can move on. Did you notice that He moved on Cyrus, the king of Persia? Listen, this is a pagan king of a pagan nation. And yet God moved upon Cyrus. And we see His confession. Did you notice that in chapter one, he says, I'm looking for the verse, that the God of heaven has given me all of the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Now, get this the Lord, Jehovah, the God of heaven, that's quite a profession of faith for a pagan king, right? has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He's giving glory to God. The God of the Jews, not His gods, not the God of the Babylonians. He is giving glory to, and says, the God of heaven, the real God, is the God, is Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of the Jews. He makes a confession as to who God is. And he admits that it is by his power that he has all the kingdoms of the earth. It's not by his great might. It's not by his wisdom. It's not by his great army. It is the power of God that has put him in charge. And he even admits he's given me a job to do. The reason he has put me in charge, the reason he's given me all these kingdoms, 
is so that I would be in place to build or to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed. Now listen, we have an idea that God's Spirit can only move on somebody who looks like us, speaks like us, is just like us, and that God can't move on someone with different politics and different policies from different backgrounds. We need to be very careful. God moved on that pagan king and moved him and used him to fulfill his process of redemption and restoration. And he can use you and he can use me. We really need to be careful about thinking that God can only bless our nation if the person that is elected in 2020 that we vote for. Whichever side you're going to vote, God can only bless if that person. Listen, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. We need to be very careful about limiting the movement of the Holy Spirit of God. One preacher said about the reach of God that it is further than the world understands, it is further than the church believes, and it is further than any individual can comprehend. God moved on the heart of the king. I notice also in verse 5 that the Spirit of God moved on the leaders. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild. So God not only moved by His Spirit on the king, He reached down among the, the Jews and He convicted them and stirred up their hearts to obedience to His command and His plan. The Spirit of God moved and they obeyed. Listen, they were in exile. They were a long way from home. But I want you to understand that God moves people best when they are broken before Him. Are you willing to admit where you are in your relationship with God? Are you willing to admit that you need Him? We need a movement of the Spirit. We need to be stirred up by the Spirit of God. But that usually happens when we are broken before Him, confessing our situation, admitting to Him where we are, who we are, and that He is the one that we need. The third element of God's process of redemption and restoration is a people movement. The response of the people. You see, we talk about revival. And, and I would say in our nation, we need a revival. Amen? We need a revival. In our churches and in our homes, we need a revival. But listen, too often when we talk about revival, what we mean is some extended services. We're going to have a special preacher come in. He's going to preach this night, this night, this night. And... During that time, maybe somebody will be saved and 
maybe church members will come to the altar and you know and everybody feels really good during the revival or at the results of the revival they might even say man we really had a revival and then Monday next nothing's changed all the prayers all the preaching commitments made but the truth is nothing has changed real revival has not happened unless people are motivated to move and do something feeling good commitments made praying at the altar all oh, that's fine but if it's real if it's real if there's real redemption and real roast restoration it will result in people moving out and not just a person but a people movement where people are joining together each one doing their part to do the work of God I mean imagine oh we had a great revival well who's going to go to Jerusalem well I can't do that let somebody else do that do you know that the greatest worker in every church is someone else he's assigned all the tasks everyone depends on him to do all the work and his name is someone else listen what we need if we say we need revival is what we need for our hearts to be stirred and our feet to be moved to actually do what God has commanded us to do notice that in this passage there was a people movement that is a spiritual movement in verses 5 and 6 then rose up the heads of the fathers houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and all who were about them that is around them aided them with vessels of silver with gold with goods with beasts and with costly wares besides all that was freely offered go back to that that other verse please he rose up then rose up now I, I've already said it was the one whose spirit God had stirred but you see that they responded they weren't just stirred and ho-hum that's it they rose up I will tell you that in our nation and in our churches in our church we need the fathers of houses and homes of families to be stirred by the Spirit of God and rise up and get into the work of God to reach our community for Christ to do what God has called you to do what has God stirred you to do rise up get on the move Let's start a people movement to fulfill God's plan of redemption and restoration. Notice that it was not just the chiefs of the families. It also says the priests and the Levites. That means you need to be praying for our pastor. That we need, I, I am so grateful. I talked about the importance of the preaching of the Word of God. I am grateful 
that we have Bob Weagle, who is an expositor. That is that he can take the Word of God and every Sunday he breaks it down and shows us the Word of God and preaches powerfully the Word of God. But we need to pray for him a movement. I know that he needs vacation. I know that he's tired. And, and we need a movement of the Spirit of God, not just on Bob, but, but on our pastors and on our staff. We, we need the movement of the Spirit of God that they will rise up and be who they need to be. We need a movement of the Spirit of God on our deacons that they will be filled with the Spirit and rise up and get moving to do what they're supposed to do and to serve God to the glory of God. We need a movement of the Spirit of God on our teachers and our small groups and our workers that they would rise up moved by the Spirit and get moving themselves. We need a people movement. We need God to move people to get involved in the work of the Lord in this place, in the streets of the city and our neighborhood around this place. It says that, he, that the people with skills, I like that, the people with skills responded. I, I look and I see some people here with some very special skills. Listen, you know where those skills came from? They came from the hand of God. My question is, are you using those skills that God has given you to His glory? Rise up. Rise up and get on the move for the work of God to build His church and to build His kingdom to the glory of God. It even says, and the willing responded. Uh, what do you say to people who don't know what to do? Just show that you're willing. You know, I've had people tell me through the years, well, I don't know the will of God for my life. And I've had to say to them, it's probably because he knows you wouldn't be willing to do it even if he told you what it is. Think about that. Would you be willing even if God showed you? So what do you do? You show your willingness. You de demonstrate a willingness. I talked about the results of a revival meeting. The greatest response to a revival meeting would be to show up on Monday and say, Pastor, I'm here. What needs to be done? Find me a place to work. Find me a, a place to serve. The willing responded. By the way, that positive response also included giving. In verses 6 through 8, and all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares. That's actually verses 5 and 6. Notice the giving that went on. Not everybody went to Jerusalem. By the way, the invitation from Cyrus was whoever. I like that. Don't miss that in the story. Whoever. Anybody who wanted to could join the caravan 
and leave Babylon and captivity behind and go back to the promised land to build the temple. The invitation was whoever. That's, that's God's invitation. Whoever will may come. Oh, it's words to an old song. But listen, not everybody went. Some stayed. But those who stayed, it says the people around them supported them, not just with money, but even with the things they needed, with goods, with beasts, and with expensive pots and pans, I guess. They provided the needs for those who would go. I know that we're afraid sometimes to talk about giving in church. But listen, nothing so shows your heart is how you use your finances. And the truth is, if God gets hold of your heart for the work of God, you will give your finances for the work to provide for the work of God. Hudson Taylor said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. That's because when He moves by His Spirit on your heart and, he, and there is a people movement, a part of that movement is not just doing the work, it is also funding the work of God. Listen, God's purpose for your life. I'm, I'm not here today to try to get your money. But if I could get you moving for God, we wouldn't have to worry about money. God's purpose for you today here in this place is redemption and restoration. Redeeming your past and restoring you, reclaiming you for service to Him. He wants to reclaim you so that, he can so that you can reclaim your place in His church and in His kingdom. What is God prompting you today to do today? I I've already said that if you've never been saved, you need to trust God. Let Him redeem your past. Redeem. Pay for your sins. That's why, that's why Jesus died on the cross. Let God redeem you and let Him restore you to right relationship with Him. If, if you've just been drifting as, as a follower of Christ or even as a member of this show, you've just been sort of drifting and on the fringe, may the Spirit of God move on you today and may He get you to rise up and move serving Him. If you've been burned on church, come here with us and heal. Find redemption and find restoration.